Welcome to this week's episode of The Read Out Loud, a weekly biotech podcast from STAT. I'm Meg Terrell. I'm Adam Forestine. And I'm Damian Garnett. It's Thursday, February 9th, and here's what we're going to talk about this week. Bird flu. More specifically, what we all need to know about the rising number of cases of a type of bird flu called H5N1, including some potentially worrisome transmission to other animal species. Thankfully, STAT's Helen Branswell joins us to help sort it all out. But first, a word from our sponsor. Over 1.5 million changes happened in clinical trials in 2021 alone. Of those, only 8% were relevant events to people working in the life sciences industry. If you work in investment, strategy, or competitive intelligence, separating the relevant from the irrelevant can be hugely time-consuming. That's where Stat Trials Pulse comes in. Using proprietary machine learning and editorially-driven algorithms, we sort through all those millions of events in real time, to surface the ones that are most relevant to you. Built by AI company Applied XL and vetted by STAT's national biotech team, STAT Trials Pulse will help you find newsworthy data before it becomes a headline. Try it out for your first four weeks free. Learn more at statnews.com slash trials pulse. You may have heard lately about the bird flu virus, H5N1, and concerns it could be the source of the world's next pandemic. When we heard about it, we turned to, who else, STAT senior infectious diseases writer Helen Branswell to help put it all into context. Helen, welcome back to The Read Out Loud. Hey, thanks for having me. I've missed you guys. We've missed you. So maybe the most natural starting point, what exactly is H5N1? Okay, so it is a um, flu virus that typically circulates in birds, specifically um, wild birds and poultry. It, it's a virus that has been, you know, you may not know this because of the, the way it has sort of exploded into the headlines recently. It is a virus that's been around for quite a long time, more than qu- a quarter of a century. And frankly, it's been concerning flu experts for that entire time. So Helen, what's the fatality rate or, or the danger to humans uh, from H5N1? Is there Do they have mortality data on people who do get infected with that? So sure. I mean, as, as I mentioned, it's been around for about a quarter of a century. Uh, the first time it, it really hit human radar was when um, uh, there was an outbreak of human cases in Hong Kong back in 1997. At that point, it was thought that bird flu viruses couldn't directly infect people, that bird viruses would have to go into pigs, and then they would sort of adapt in pigs and be able to infect humans as a consequence. But in 97, it was seen that no bird viruses could directly infect humans. And in that outbreak, there were 18 cases and six deaths. In the years since, there have been about 870 cases detected uh, internationally, and somewhere around 52% of those people have died. It's important to say that, you know, those are detected cases. There could always have been undetected cases that didn't, you know, ping the radar because they were mild. Don't know about that. The other thing to point out is that in recent years, there have been very few human cases. And when there have been human cases, 
most of them have been exceedingly mild. So it sounds potentially scary, but also potentially not scary. So why is it getting so much attention right now? And you also said, you know, this is something that flu experts have been watching for the last quarter century, and you just published a story having spoken with them. So so how concerned are they at this moment? Okay, so why it's pinging right now, I think there are a couple of reasons. Um some of the other infectious diseases that we've been paying attention to over the past couple of years have subsided a little. You know, COVID is not in the headlines as much as it was for a while. The big RSV and flu um, outbreaks that we were seeing in the fall have subsided as well. And, you know, in some respects, I think people are turning their attention to see what's coming next and seeing Reports of lots and lots of birds dying, both domestic poultry and wild birds and carnivore species like small mammals and not so so small mammals, even bears, for instance, being found dead and testing positive for H5N1. Um, right now, there is a lot of this virus covering a lot of the world it, for a long time, for years. It was mostly contained to Asia and then Asia and North Africa. But uh, a number of years ago now, it crossed into Europe and into uh, the Americas in domestic birds. And so right now, there's just a lot of it in wild birds. Those wild birds are moving it into poultry operations and killing poultry, which is why eggs are so expensive in the United States right now. And... Um, you know the the movement into mammals is is alarming because they are closer related to us than birds are so you know the thinking is if they can infect if this virus can infect mammals and sometimes potentially you know start to move from mammal to mammal as may have been the case in some of the uh, animal outbreaks that have been reported then you know, one would wonder if it is adapting and um, potentially becoming more of a threat to us. Um, you asked about the people I spoke to in the piece that we published of mine the, on Wednesday. Uh, so I've been covering this virus for a really long time. And um, I reached out to a bunch of people that I have spoken to over decades now, uh, who have been following it for a really long time, including people who were involved in the original 1997 um, investigation in Hong Kong, and people who have studied the virus in labs, you know, for decades since. And a number of them, I mean, first of all, none of them are never not worried about H5N1. H5N1 is a big worry. Several of them suggested to me that that they're really not more worried now, but like I said, they're never not worried about this virus. A couple, you know, voiced concern about the much larger geographic spread of this, the fact that it, you know, with more um, wild birds dying and and those carcasses being around and being um, scavenged by you know, small carnivores and those, then those animals getting sick, that there's just an increasing um, chance of exposure to humans. Uh, you know, the more of this is around, the more potential there is. Um, you know, you often hear people talking about a roll of the dice and um, 
I guess the, if you want to use that analogy, the, the, the fear here is that the dice are being rolled more often. So we're one of those dice rolls to not go our way. And if this were to escalate into becoming a real problem for humans, are we, do you think, in a better or worse place to deal with that, given what we've been through with COVID-19? A few thoughts. Um, first of all, because it's been around for a while and because people have been really worried about it for a while, uh, you know, we have some tools already. There are antiviral flu drugs. The thinking is that they would probably work. I mean, supplies obviously would be um, at a premium if if this were to take off as a human pathogen. But we do have... You know, we know how to make those already. Um, la- laboratories and even vaccine manufacturers have been playing with this virus for years. Uh, playing is probably the ba- a bad word. But um, the World Health Organization has, uh, you know, regularly um, indicates to manufacturers, hey, we th- think this is a new and interesting H5 virus. You know, if you're working on H5N1 vaccines, update your, your, um, formula to, to, to work with this one. Um, and certainly there are countries like the United States that have commissioned, uh, manufacturers to make some doses of H5N1 vaccine and, there would be some doses in the uh, strategic national stockpile. So, you know, there there are some tools. Obviously, you know, were this to take off, getting that kind of stuff available at scale for the whole world would be a challenge, as we've seen in the last um, three years with COVID. But the world has more recent experience in doing that kind of thing. Um, there aren't our mRNA vaccines yet for flu. Um, and those are the vaccines that can scale very quickly. Uh, but um, those manufacturers are working on flu vaccines, and I'm sure that they would uh, seize the opportunity should it present itself. I do think that if something were to take off now, whether it be H5 or anything else, that um, Pandemic fatigue is deep in the bones of pretty much everybody on the planet. People wanted their lives back. People are unwilling to make compromises right now. People are angry about what they've been through and blaming (laughs) the people who they were getting messaging from, even though I'm not sure that's really rational. So, um, you know, we're public health authorities to start to say, you should put your masks back on, you should do social distancing, you should work from home. I think, um, I think people would be reluctant to follow that kind of advice, at least initially. That said, um, if the virus uh, started killing a lot of people and more people than COVID did, that might, you know, make people see things through a different lens. So there was one glimmer of potentially good news in your story, Helen, which you know you alluded to earlier, the fact that H5N1 cases in humans have been increasingly rare in recent years. Is that potentially due to the mutations that kind of make it less uh, well-suited to causing significant disease in people? Yeah, so it's sometimes a bit hard to explain uh, the intricacies of flu. Any virus that has 
and hemagglutinin number five and a neuraminidase number one on the exterior of the virus would be called an H5N1 virus. But there are a bunch of different H5N1s. Um, the virus that that emerged in 1997, and which was the same virus that uh, reemerged in late 2003 and started spreading throughout Vietnam and Thailand and Indonesia and China and killed, you know, those 870 people that I talked about earlier. That virus isn't the one really that's spreading now. The hemagglutinin is the same, but all of the other seven virus uh, genes in that virus have changed. And Specifically, the internal genes of the virus have changed. So for years and years and years, H5N1 viruses had this uh, block of internal genes, they call it a cassette, that had come from another bird flu virus. And, and for whatever reason, any bird flu virus with that internal cassette of genes seemed to be able to infect humans more readily than other bird flu viruses. Not super readily, but more readily. Uh, this current modern contemporary um, H5N1 doesn't have that cassette. And that may be why we're not seeing as many human cases. I don't know if I said this earlier, but it's important to note that when there have been human cases in the last few years, most of them have been exceedingly mild. There was a man uh, in Colorado in last spring who who was who tested positive for H5N1. Uh, he was a prisoner in a state prison who was involved in a, a culling operation on a farm that uh, had had an, a bird flu outbreak, and he you know, they were testing them if they had any symptoms. He was feeling tired. They swabbed his nose and they found uh, H5 virus. So he became the United States' first human case of H5N1. He had no other symptoms. And and it's not 100% clear that he was actually infected. He may just have had viruses in his nostrils. And um, many of the recent cases have been similar to that. People who've had poultry exposure, noses got swabbed, viruses present, but really no symptoms. There is, though, a recent case from Ecuador, a young girl who um, was infected with an H5 virus. I don't think they've ever announced what the neuraminidase was, but but she had she was severely ill. She's she has survived, but I think. But um, but, you know, just I'm just mentioning that to point out that, you know, we can't assume that the entire threat from this virus has gone away, but just to note that it does not, it has not been acting in the last few years in the way it did in 1997 or in, um, in the early 2000s, at least in terms of, you know, in people. That said, you know, there is this concern that if it is spreading among mammals and adapting to mammals that, you know, it could be heading our way. Mm. So one of my favorite Helen Branswell stories that I come back to almost every time we speak is when Dr. Anthony Fauci told you that uh, he knows you're a worrier. So how worried about H5N1 are you personally, Helen? You know, I went through this period. So my introduction to H5N1 happened in 
uh, early 2004. In 2003, I'd been living in Toronto. Toronto got hit by SARS. It was my first exposure to an infectious disease outbreak. And I, it sort of supercharged my um, attention for things like that. And, and uh, the next year, bird flu reemerged and started spreading through Asia. And I started covering it very closely and did for a number of years. I had, a, you know, a lot of fear then. I was convinced, and I wasn't alone, that we were watching the early stages of a pandemic. Um, and then, you know, H5 sort of quieted down for a while. Um, I guess at this point, I would say that um, I know enough about this virus to know we just don't know what it's going to do. I think any pandemic is disruptive and even a even a mild pandemic and as i said before the, the world is very tired of living through pandemics at this point and i so you know the thought of any pandemic just makes me want to crawl under the covers um if there were an H5 pandemic, it could be a bad pandemic, and that is also um, not a heartening thought. But I just don't think we know what's going to happen with this. It hasn't done it yet. That you know, there was a time when a bunch of people, typically not flu scientists, were saying, "Well, if it hasn't done it yet, it can't do it, and it won't do it." And I think. You know, that is unknowable. We know that it hasn't done it yet. And I think we have to just live with that. That doesn't answer your question. I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm not, but I'm not like, a, like crawling out of my skin. Okay, wait, before we started recording, you asked us if we're allowed to use the <laughs> F word. What about the story makes you want no, to use the F just, word? I, look, I, I, I don't, one of my concerns right now is that a lot of, people, some of them reporters, some of them other, you know, some of them reporters, some of them academics, some of them just regular people are kind of discovering H5N1 for the first time. And when you discover H5N1 for the first time, you kind of have a holy moment because, you know, when you read about a virus that kills roughly half the people who known to have been infected with it, it gets your attention. And um, so you know, there's a lot of, at least in the United States, it seems like there's a mounting of, amount of attention being paid to it. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But we need to keep in mind that we don't know what this is going to do. And I don't know how open the public is to you know, another whipsaw moment of, you know, you need to get afraid of this now. Um, this needs to be watched. People need to be monitoring what's happening with small animals, you know, forested animals really closely. People need to be containing outbreaks in um, domestic poultry. People need to be trying to figure out whether or not the virus is changing and what those changes might be giving it in terms of capacity to adapt to mammalian spread. But um, but we don't all need to, you know, head for the bunkers. Well, on that note, Helen, thank you as always for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 
that does it for another episode of The Read Out Loud. Thank you to Teresa Gaffney for producing this week's episode. Our senior producers are Hyacinth Bonato and Alyssa Ambrose. Our executive producer is Rick Burke. And our theme music is by Brian Joel. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you like about this week's episode, what you didn't like, and how worried you are about the bird flu. You can do all that by sending us an email at readoutloud at statnews.com. And if you like what we do, leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use to get your podcast. See you next week. 